This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. Beautiful Friday, and we this have is episode 376 of Very Corporate Special. Sharks of GamesAtWork.biz with my friend and co-host Michael Martin and a special guest star. No pressure, no pressure. Uh, Haldor Sigurdsson. Hal- Haldor, thank you very much for joining us today. What we really wanted to do is is talk to a local game designer, someone who's out there writing games, designing games, playing games. Um, and, uh, you know, my wife and I have known you for a while, kind of indirectly, directly, uh, and, uh, you mentioned to her sometime that, uh, you were doing game design and I was like, oh, we've got to get them on the show. So, uh, I'm so glad you're able to come join us today and talk about what you're doing over at Flying Fish Games. So, so welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited to be on your cast. Excellent. Michael, uh, welcome on a Friday afternoon, too. <laughs> Delighted to be here. I was waiting for the ball to be passed my direction, but uh, there this is. is really all about Haldor. So so get us started. Why Flying Fish? What story? How did you get involved in games? Take us down the, the origin for you. The origin story. There wasn't like a radioactive spider or, or you know, something coming oh, no. from outer it space radio- gamma rays. It was a radioactive board game, and I uh, got a paper cut and uh, spiraled from there. <laughs> um, honestly, board games, uh, it was probably 20-some-odd years ago when I got first introduced to Settlers of Catan, and uh, ever since then, I've kind of been addicted to board games. <laughs> um, I believe it was about nine year, eight, nine years ago when I started making my own games. Um, I actually started with Corporate Sharks, but then ended up with a few additional ones that I made at the same time. And those ones kind of fell to the sidelines as I focused on Corporate Sharks. And um, at this point, it's about to be complete, ready to go, ready for a Kickstarter. Um, Yeah, so I guess that's how I started. Um, I made started with Corporate Sharks and varied from there. So why Flying Fish? Yeah. Oh, uh, actually, it's just a username I used to use all the time because I am a Pisces <laughs> and I have uh, wing tattoos on my feet. So <laughs> and I was cool. just like a, uh, a username I always use all the time. And then when I was deciding how to market my board games, I decided to just throw that in there because board games are fun. They're meant to be fun. Why not have fun with my my logo and the name of my business? Very, Very cool. cool. So, so uh, you know, I've 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 looked at uh, uh, corporate sharks online. I can't wait to have an opportunity to play test it. Uh, but as you and I were exchanging prior to this, I've I've tried to design a game, and and it's hard because you know the worst thing is you have this great idea and you create something and you play test it and it's not fun. So 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 how do you keep the fun in the design as you're kind of working through the mechanics and just kind of figuring out how to make this idea become something you can play? Uh, well, I think the I think with making a game like usually with your first game, first couple of games, you'll latch onto an idea and really want to force that idea even when it turns out to not be so fun. 
And I think a lot of people have a hard time putting those initial games to rest as, unfortunately, this is just not going to fly for whatever the reason might be. Or you end up spending a lot of time trying to figure out exactly what was making it not so fun. Maybe there's too much time in between turns. There's nothing to pay attention to on other people's turns. Or maybe just the mechanics don't work so well for that, that theme, that game, whatever it may be. Um, and then just, I have found the best thing is to work out the mechanics myself, do some playtesting te- play by myself. And that's when I'll start bringing other people in and really paying attention to what the other people are doing, especially if they're your friends, pay attention to how they're reacting to the game, not what they're saying about the game. Because mm. most of the time, if they're their, your friends, they don't want to give you bad criticism on your game. So they'll they'll sugarcoat it for you, which is very nice for your friends to do and all. But unfortunately, it's not very usable information to improve on the game. Yeah. So really watching people's reaction as they're playing versus what they're saying is probably the big key to... Uh, improving the game further. Unfortunately, Corporate Sharks in its very initial stages is nothing what it turned out to be. And that was a huge problem. Three hours of game that we would just finally call it because nobody was having fun. So, so, so what is Corporate... Tell us a little bit about Corporate Sharks. Uh, the, the the title... I mean, not everybody who's listening to the podcast has already gone through the show notes and graphic detail, gone to the website, looked at everything. So, So tell us a little bit about the game. Well, Corporate Sharks is uh, my financial big financial game. Um, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of opportunity for strategy and give people various ways of playing the game. And that's one thing that I try to keep in my game is high, high amounts of uh, varying strategies. So it's not just, oh, this is how you play the game. It's These are the rules of the game. I would like you to find your own ways of playing. And I give people the options to you know try different things. Um, it's definitely a financial game if you break it down to just the main mechanic, but there's a lot of different things that are going on to give you various options to mm-hmm. try. So the biggest, easiest thing is that getting more credits, the currency of the game, will also get you the opportunity to get you victory points, which is the main way of winning at the end of the game is to have the most victory points. Um, you draw your credits out of a bag at random, and so some of those credits may actually be victory points which are also spendable as credits. So you have to decide how much you want to spend to build your machine to keep getting those victory points. And then in addition, you can be spending your money on other things to gain additional points from there. But the main focus is to build yourself a machine to get as many points as you can out of the game. So the victory points that you spend as credits are kind of like uh, spending political capital. Kind of. You're you're taking your existing points and you're spending them, hoping that you'll be able to get them back in the end. But since there's only a certain amount of victory points in that bag of credits, the more people hold on to, the less opportunity you will have to get those back again. So the further further into the game you go, the harder you're going to have to work to get those victory points. So 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 back to the idea of designing a game, right? You know, it's got to be fun, right? That is kind of the main main feature of a board game. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also, uh, I, I guess there's also other considerations. Uh, you say Corporate Sharks is a finance-type game. Uh, there's whole game genres, whether you're talking about, you know, Settlers of Catan, uh, Risk, Monopoly, you know, uh, Diplomacy, which was a game that I used to love, right? Which uh, was an Avalon Hill game where everything was done kind of in turns at the same time. 
which was a mm-hmm. really bizarre mechanic. You 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 set the you set the time limit to fifteen minutes a turn, and everybody would go off and negotiate with individuals in the game, and then everybody would write down what they thought they agreed to. Then you'd all lay out your your move, everybody's moves at the same time, and then it would kind of play off and say, "Well, you know, you and I agreed that we're going to do something that would be bad to Michael." Right. What? Uh, and then we all lay down our, our our play and I see you're attacking Michael and mine. I lied. I attacked you because all your guys moved off your space. Right. So so it had a really kind of a neat mechanic that way. But it could, you know, you know, four or five hour games are not a problem because, you know, 15 minutes per turn. Uh, so. There's those types of mechanics. Uh, what other considerations are there? I mean, looking at the artwork. Um, on on uh, corporate sharks and some of the other games that you've been working on, I find that really cool too. Uh, that's a different kind of design. Uh, but what other things do you consider when you're thinking about designing a game? Well, for my games, I definitely make sure I have a strong theme for each game, so everything is going to be unique. I have corporate sharks, which is based in a world where mega corporations have basically taken over the function of governments elsewhere. So um, I wanted to have a lot of artwork that would enhance that. So it basically comes back down to the fun of the game. If you can have a high theme in the game that people can feel like they're getting into the game, getting into the game, uh, the theme, the feel, it's going to increase how much fun you have with it. Versus if you're just looking at some basic line art, you're not going to get as um, involved with the game. You're not going to be involved with the theme. It's just going to be you're doing these actions. So a lot of artwork I've done, I've had done specifically for the games to increase that, enhance the theme. Um, mechanics, you definitely have to make sure all the mechanics are flowing together because if people constantly have to stop in the game to figure out what's going on or why that's happening, it kind of, again, breaks breaks you out of being immersed in the game. And aside from that, it's just making sure everything flows together. And fun, of course. If it's not fun, you're, you're going down the wrong road. Well, when, when, when you think about the mechanics, do you think of, um, you know, short-term little achievable events or little dopamine hits versus the, I won, I got all the victory points, right? I mean, do you think about that type of mechanic too? Is that something, or do you think that the whole experience just kind of ramps to an end? Uh, specifically for Corporate Sharks, there's, since there's so many different ways of having points and... Uh, your assets are actually hidden behind a screen. So for the most part, the other players don't really know how how advanced you are or how many points you have until the very end. There are definitely some options to be able to see what people are hit, hiding away, all their mm. hidden assets, uh, because they do have a little bit of take that in there where you'll be able to impact other, other corporations. And one of them is actually uh, industrial espionage, espionage, where you can take a look behind somebody's screen so, oh, I can see how many points you have, and you're definitely the person I need to work on right now, work on beating, versus just seeing the screen, you're not too sure how well everybody is doing. So that turns out to be at the end, this is what's going on. We all find out at the end and compare. Versus something that if you, like Monopoly, for example, you will see somebody, they get the set, they get the houses on their lots, they're building them up, they're the only person, they have all the money, we can all see what's going on, and that can get a little that can draw out losing in a bad way i feel where if it's something that you're unsure until the very end how it's going to play out then you don't have an hour of 
I'm just losing. I guess I'm just doing things to get to the end of the game. So I prefer my games to not just be waiting to lose. If you happen to be doing the worst, I would rather that there's a little bit of find out at the end what's what the end result is going to be. Growing up, my sister had a great technique for uh, Monopoly when when she realized she was losing. <laughs> Throw the board. <laughs> it's a real quick end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so did you build in corporate? Did you build in corporate sharks a a um, set of game mechanics that allow for uh, the table to get turned relatively? simply so if the three of us are playing uh and one of us is in the lead there's a way for that to turn right around or or does it require more of a stealthy long-term sort of sort of thing to build 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 toward the end um i kind of made corporate sharks in a way that it could actually go either direction Mm -hmm. there are going to be rounds where those screens are removed so everybody will see everybody's stuff and so if it's close enough to the end you can see oh this person is winning by a landslide. Everybody's going to gang up on them now. <laughs> right. Or also, if you, that screen hasn't been pulled up and everybody has everything secret, you may know what people are doing. You may not exactly know what their strategy is. And there's also what is called the corporate structure, which is a bunch of abilities that you're going to add on to your corporation, various abilities or bonuses you can give yourself. Right. So some of those will also include victory points or things people could do at the end to stifle your own victory points so there is a lot of room for uh changing and also with having a lot of things hidden you may not know how well somebody is doing until the very end when you're scoring some end game victory scores or people actually pull out how many victory points they have and oh it turns out you had a lot more points and i realized you had and now you're the winner so i tried it for corporate trucks specifically i tried to keep it more like uh, a little bit more unsure till the end. So you don't get too comfortable if you are winning and there are ways to like come up from behind if you are not winning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very, very cool. And and I like the, the, what you've incorporated here are, are just a number of, of normal standard things that corporations have to do. So the espionage element is kind of cool. Uh, what looks like there's a whole social media thing too, that your reputation as a corporation can be good or bad. And it looks like from some of the cards you could play, you could say, oh, well, we'll troll you as a corporation and you will have some negative uh, uh, reputational analysis happening and you have to find a way to counteract all that too. So cool way of incorporating all of those dynamics and elements in there. I'm curious, um, is there a concept of merger and acquisition in here as well, in addition to just saying, hey, I want to build tree houses or factory farms or you know other stuff? Can you, can you acquire other uh, elements in, as part of your game too? Actually, kind of. Um, one of the aspects of the game is that there are a certain amount of cities on the board that mm-hmm. the corporations will be gaining shares of ah. in sets of 25. And so you can actually start with a set of 25 of, say, the green city. And somebody, and you start building up with additional buildings, make it more profitable. And then during the auction phase, when those shares get distributed, somebody else may start uh, stealing your shares by outbidding Mm. you. And once they get a set of 25 in that green city, they're now going to be getting some of the profit that you spent the time building buildings for. So people can actually sneak into these these cities that you spent a lot of money and time building up. And then suddenly they're getting the same, same stuff that you were. Very cool. 
Very cool. So so we've talked a lot about corporate sharks, and I know that's not the only game because you've mentioned another one. What other types of games uh, are you working on or have you worked on? As far as have worked on, I've got a, I have a couple of games that have uh, I've laid them to rest. Um, either they just weren't enough game for what they for the the amount of cost for the product, or I just didn't feel they were as fun as they could be, and I didn't know how to improve that. So a couple of games, a couple of my initial games have definitely been put to rest. Since then, I've made a travel line of about five games in various states of uh, playtesting. Unfortunately, I've also set that aside temporarily because I'm just so busy with the rest of them. Um, and then aside from that, I've got four main games that I'm working on right now, including Corporate Sharks. I have a worker placement where everybody is trying to build Imhotep's Glorious Step Pyramid. And whoever is the first one to complete that one by placing a golden uh, Eye of Raw on the top of the pyramid is going to be the winner. And that one is actually that one's a lot of fun. I really enjoy playing that one. But you, I am you, you should call Marvel and tie it into Moon Knight. I mean, come on. Oh, good time for that. <laughs> uh, so that's my worker placement I try to keep all of my games uh, themes and mechanic styles separate so I'm not reusing the same things from for different games because I want everything to be a little bit unique so that's my worker placement I have a word game which is called Tetrascore and that one is sort of if you take a crossword and a timed Scrabble style where you're trying to make words, but you're actually using Tetris-style blocks of letters to arrange them into words. So like that, uh, the classic uh, four blocks in a row to make a four-letter word would be if the one you were using was that shape, then you would have four letters that you can pick off this giant crossword-style uh, board that you're going to use and make it into as, as best a word as you can. And then hopefully you end up racking up enough points after 13 rounds to win the game. And then if you end up messing up, which I do a lot in this game, because I'm awful at word games when I'm playing them, but I, I'll frequently realize that I just spelled the wrong word or <laughs> misspelled the word because I thought the letter beside it was part of my group's letters. Uh, I actually have a friend who kills at that game because she's playtested it with me a lot of times, and she kills at it and beats me most of the time. And her, her <laughs> feedback, it's really fun. I win a lot. <laughs> That does come up frequently when she's discussing it, yep. <laughs> Which, you know, I don't want to be the only person that wins my games that I make, because that's just not fun. So this is one I actually lose a lot at. Um, but the game is actually built in a way that even if you're not really good at word games, if you really are good at word games, you end up going for the more challenging words, because you have the chance to get tons and tons of points for them, but you also have more opportunity to mess up and not be able to make a word, where you'll get you'll get docked a lot of points for not using enough letters or for messing up like I do all the time. Or if you're like me, you usually go for the smaller, easier to do words because that way I won't mess them up. <laughs> and then in addition to that one, I've got the Corporate Sharks, Imhotep's Glory, Tetrascore, and my current one that I'm really messing around with right now is called Mad Mithril's Magic Puzzle Boxes. And mm -hmm. it's a little bit more difficult for me to put together because it literally requires all the people to playtest with rather than playtesting it by myself. Um, it's one where everybody has a magical puzzle box and there are an assortment of keys and everybody's trying to get the keys into their puzzle boxes to unlock them first. 
But every time you move your key or do something with one of your keys, you're going to impact everybody else's puzzle boxes. <laughs> so that one takes a lot of playtesting and a lot of patience to get where it needs to be. But at this point, I think it's pretty much at a good spot in playtesting where I finally made some uh, good quality prototype pieces so that when people play, they actually, they're trying to get in, I'm trying to get people into the feel of the game and get them in the, th the theme. So I feel like having nice, more professionally looking prototype pieces helps people to get into the feel of the game, makes them want to play test the games more often. So, so t t talking about prototyping, uh, you know, I looked at some of the, the pins and things that you've been working on also. It seems like just an amazing amount of work to do all that. Uh, thinking about turning these into products that people can buy, <laughs> um, how, how do you consider that? Uh, how do you deal with that? Are you doing Kickstarters? Or, uh, I did see a Kickstarter out there or at least talk of the Kickstarter. Um, how are you trying to get your games out? Uh, so right now, I'm I'm, I'm a one-man show right now. So right now, I'm doing uh, social media marketing on my own right now, building up followers, because that's definitely something you need to do before you take your game to a Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. uh, but Kickstarter is the way I'm planning on going for all four of those games uh, over time, eventually. Um, Corporate Sharks is definitely going to be my first one that I'm hoping to do soon. Um, but yeah, I find that making professional-looking pieces when I'm playtesting with people gets them into the game more, makes them want to tell people a game about the game, take pictures. Pictures look a lot better rather than having handmade paper pieces, and also having those like those uh, cardboard punch-outs gives people a better idea how the game's going to feel if they were to get the actual copy of the game. Um, Mad, Mad Mithril's is a good example of that. It's actually going to have all the keys are going to be printed on clear acrylic for the actual game. But in the meantime, I've made prototype pieces that are the uh, nice thick cardboard punch outs. Mm -hmm. So people can still get a good feel for it, even though it's not as uh, wonderful as it will be in the end. Uh, it's still a really good quality prototype that people will be excited to play with, even though it's not the final quality of it. So I do find, I actually use thegamecrafter.com for my my good quality prototypes because that gets people a little bit more excited. They, it seems like a real game. People are a little bit more, or I found that people are a little bit more willing to give constructive criticism to it as well because it seems less like, oh, it's this, it's this little thing you're making and I just want to be nice as your friend. It seems more like they're playing not your game. They're playing an actual game and they're more willing to give you some feedback on it. Which is great because that's that's the best way to find out where all the problems are in your game. And oh, this person found a, a loophole in my game that can potentially ruin it. <laughs> like a friend of mine did with Emhotep's Glory, and I discovered I need a way around that. A way a way around from this little cheat that I had left open. You, you know, it's interesting, Haldor, I, you're, you're kind of bringing up a point about manufacturing and scale, right? So w once you get to a point where you want to launch your games, is the is GameCrafter one of the mechanisms by which you could say, hey, uh, I now have an order for 100 or 1,000 versions of the game? Or what? what's your plan for scale when you get to a point of you've launched the game and now you need to have those great acrylic pieces and a high-quality cardboard board play and all the rest of that stuff? What do you do? So I 
I actually use game. You can actually use Game Crafter for that, and they have an option for crowdfunding, which I think is awesome. I don't remember when they added that, but it was very exciting when they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, what I plan to do is to do Kickstarters and then go through manufacturing it all myself um, on a larger scale. I would really rather do it on a larger scale, like fifteen hundred piece on my minimal minimum side. Mm-hmm. Uh, game Crafter I use specifically to make my prototypes, so that they come out looking professional. Um, and I have these very nice things that I can take photos of and videos of. And when people are playing, I can do these really good um, photo shoots with everything rather than have cheaper handmade pieces that look less professional. <laughs> um, and then when I have them made, I can have everything made specifically the way I want where the game crafter, it gets a little pricey when you want things to be. I, ma- I imagine it might be if they're really bespoke kind of stuff, right? Yeah, they have a lot of options for, you know, this size, this piece, or this kind of component, which is great to go with. Um, I will usually just utilize what they have and convert what I want it to be into something similar that's one of their base base offerings Mm -hmm. versus having a custom punch out, which will cost me a lot more. Standard meeples are cheaper than non-standard meeples, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, But they do offer, it's really great if I want uh, custom dice, for example, Emhotep's Flory has three custom dice, and each mm-hmm. die is a unique color with unique printing. And it's a little pricey to print just three of them, uh, but it's fine for making a couple of prototypes of it. Um, there's also, which you had asked me about, which was the doing crowdfunding through Game Crafter, and they have that option, um, which is actually really convenient if people want to go through there. It's basically the same thing as setting up a shop on there, and then the more people that in the time, the say one month that you have allotted for it, the more people that sign up to buy the game, uh, it'll just make all the games cheaper as people sign up instead of a Kickstarter project where you have a funding goal that you're trying to reach. And right. once you reach that goal, then you can produce it. When you're going through the game crafter route, you're basically going to be producing it no matter what. Uh, there's a small discount for like the first few backers. And then once you hit a larger number of backers, it progressively discounts more and more for all the people that have backed it. And then at the end, can you stop that discount and say, okay, you know, if I have a thousand people, um, it's, it's now showing that it's really taking off. And I don't know if that's a good number. I'm just making that up. Obviously Uh, you can say at that point, I want to get 10% return or 15% return. Um, And, and instead of the discount going to the players, it comes back to you as a profit. Uh, well, it actually works. Uh, it does both of those, actually, when you're going through Game Crafter. From mm-hmm. what I've read on their crowdfunding options, it reduces the price for you as the manufacturer. They give you a steeper discount on what's being made, and they also give the backers a discount as well. So it does make sense to have to do it that way. If you are thinking like, oh, I can get 200 sold. That's great. That's an awesome way to do it. It's a smaller scale version mm-hmm. of what you would be doing with uh, Kickstarter. Kickstarter, you'll basically end up doing a lot more of the work yourself, and then you'll go to the manufacturer and have it made, but you'll probably be making uh, more of a profit off of it, And but you'll also have a lot more extra product, because Kickstarter, you'll be doing like a minimum of 1,500 pieces, right. and your Kickstarter, for example, sold, not sold, but you had 500 backers for one game each, so you've made your, you've reached your goal by making 1500 pieces and five of them go out. And then you have another thousand pieces that you sell for basically profit. And those were just random numbers. I just pulled out of nowhere, but like (laughs) as a random example versus for the 
game crafter version, it's literally only the people that have signed up to buy it will get a copy of it. You won't end up with extra copies in the end. And the discount just depends on how many people signed up. Interesting. I mean, g- games and board games and and uh, card games and the like have gone really well in the last you know five ten years. You look at Cards Against Humanity. You look at Stonemeyer Games. You look at a whole range of uh, ones that have been around for a little while or or newly coming up. And Kickstart has new ones all the time. Uh, it it seems that you you are coming with a portfolio of already several. And that you're well suited to see one of these things launch. So, uh, when you're wildly successful uh, and you get corporate sharks out there and you hit those targets, what's sort of the the next thing? Are are you imagining a, a gaming empire that you will be <laughs> creating, or what? Where where do you want to take this? Um. Well, who says no to having their own empire? But. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you actually mentioned um, Stonemaier Games, and uh, as far as quality of games goes, they've been kind of, that, that's been like my standard of what I would like to be offering, and I have these four games that I'm preparing to be able to take, take to Kickstarter. Um, I want to keep going after that. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. um, it's, I'm not bringing them all at one time, so it will definitely be over a period of time, and I've actually been kind of on a hiatus, I guess you could say, over the past couple of years, because I was actually ready to... I was preparing for my first Kickstarter for Corporate Sharks a couple of years back, and then about two months before my Kickstarter went off, uh, COVID hit. So mm-hmm. uh, I kind of messed up with your playtesting. <laughs> oh, it did a whole lot of everything. To, yeah, <laughs> My plans were definitely... Uh, on hold for a good few years, but it turned out to be a good thing because I've definitely, um, corporate sharks has basically been ready to go since then. And I've played it a lot more over the last few years, of course, but it's, um, I haven't changed it in about two years now. So it's, it's ready to go. You know what I mean? Where mad mithril's, I'm still balancing certain things, but corporate sharks has been ready to go, but it's giving me more confidence with having more people play it and try it out and get feedback and, Instead of that half smile saying, oh, yeah, no, that's fun. There, oh, I was super surprised how well this game worked. With It looked so complicated at first. And there's definitely a lot to the game, a lot of different components and whatnot. But um, I, I haven't been able to break the game, which is always my goal when I play test. Uh, if I'm playing with my play testers, then I will choose something that's absolutely ridiculous and just go with that. See if there's any way to break the game. And I haven't found anything to break that game in years now. <laughs> Great. And I watch other people doing things too. Like, Oh, that is not a strategy I had thought of for this game. <laughs> I need to make sure that's fully doable. Let me make sure there's nothing that's going to break. If somebody tries the strategy. And again, since, since I was ready to do this first time, <laughs> COVID, mm-hmm. uh, it's basically just giving me more confidence that I, I am ready to go to Kickstarter with it. And I've seen some games that, you know, they go through their Kickstarter campaign and then we're getting updates about, okay, we're still playtesting. And for me, I'm like, wait, what? You're playtesting still? How are you? Why were you even on Kickstarter if you're still playtesting? But that's sometimes the company will include that, the, that time frame into their Kickstarter campaign right. without me realizing they had done that. And, you know, they're balancing some extra things out at that point. Or maybe they had added in some 
uh, additional stretch goals that they need to make sure work well. Mm-hmm. But as far as corporate trucks goes, I've, I've, it's ready to go. <laughs> so, so what, what are your favorite board games yeah. that you haven't created yourself? You know, the others oh. that you love to play. What g- give us other like, than settlers, uh, right? Cause you talked about yeah, other than settlers. Beginning. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe like a three lot of people four. actually give settlers like a hard time. Like a lot of gamers give it a hard time, but it is a really great game to get people into the, the board gaming hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really well-made game overall. Uh, granted, depending on who you're playing with, it can be tiresome once in a while. Um, but that's usually like the very experienced players do that. Um, as far as my favorite games, I have a lot of favorite games that are actually Kickstarter campaigns I've supported myself through other people. Mm-hmm. And those are some of my favorite ones. Um, there's one called Vindication. It was one of the first ones I did. And it, outstanding game, like best quality in any of the games I own right now. Uh, it's one of my favorite games ever. There's tons of replayability with it. A lot of various strategies that you can do. Uh, so that's definitely one of my top ones. And um, actually, I'm totally going to give them a shout out right now. Moonrakers, which I supported a couple of years back, is currently doing a campaign for their, I think it's called Titan, which it just started a couple of days ago. And it popped up on my phone. And within hours, they hit a million dollars. Wow. And it's Poor guys. I mean, that's that's so sad, right? Only a million? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like literally within hours, I had sent my friend a text message. And in the 10 minutes it took for him to get it, he's like, oh, wow. In the 10 minutes it took me to see this message, it's gone up by $50,000. Wow. Like that's literally by the minute. It's going up by 50 grand a minute. And, do, but do they you had play a, James Bond in that one? Uh, <laughs> it's actually uh, the theme for this one is that uh, – the other planets in the solar system have basically been used as penal col- colonies. <laughs> and so now all these penal colony colonies have their own like makeshift ships and everything. And you have to team up with other captains to accomplish various goals. Oh, so okay, it's actually really cool. cool where you have to work with the other players mm-hmm. and you're still trying to strive for your own goals, but you work with the other players to accomplish the bigger, harder ones. So it's a lot of fun, even though me and uh, one of the people I play with all the time, we're not so, um, generous in our offerings to get people to help us so sometimes we break that game a little bit <laughs> but like the second this game sh- the second i saw the expand it's a three expansions plus a bigger box to put the original content into very cool yeah the second i saw it i just <laughs> it was like 100 take my money please like, yep yep here just take it just take it all <laughs> my friend saw the cost of it and he's like oh that's kind of pricey i was like i already signed up for it i'm not even gonna mess around for like well, they can come to your days. place and play, right? So it's all good. <laughs> oh, yes. They will be here for that. We will have plenty of expansions to play. Uh, we're all excited about it. Um, but, yeah, that's definitely up there in my favorite games. Again, that one is a Kickstarter exclusive. Actually, I don't think it's exclusively Kickstarter anymore. I do think they have it being sold on the market now. Uh, but super high quality, super great gameplay, unique. The art has its own style. I really, it's a lot of fun. So those are two of my favorite games that I've actually gotten off Kickstarter myself. And and I know we're just about out of time. Uh, I, one one other question, kind of in the same vein: Do you find that um, really good board games suffer or get better if people try to turn them into computer games too? Or do you have any opinion on that? Um getting better or worse i don't 
like the game itself usually doesn't get better or worse. It's usually the th- same, but I feel like the tactile and uh, like in real life aspect of a board mm-hmm. game gets lost in translation with a computer game. So I guess I would say a board game usually feels less as an online version, as a computer version. And I have plenty of games that I have the actual board game of that I play a lot and I never play the the computer game versions of them because it's it's missing what I feel is one of the big pluses to a board game. The social aspect and the tactile, the feel, you know, touching and moving pieces around instead of just clicking on the mouse. Yeah, there there's one uh, thing that we looked at a while back on the show was a um, it was a VR slash AR experience that they were trying to put board games in so you could play together remotely. Right to kind of bridge that gap, you'd still lose the tactile aspect of it, but uh, maybe it would address some of the social aspects, right? Because you you set a time, you physic you physically virtually get together, right, and you actually play that way. Uh, but yeah, I I definitely agree that the the tactile aspect of it is definitely lost. And, and yeah, you've seen some where they try the to like things about it. dive into the pieces and stuff like that. I'm like, well, no. That doesn't make sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And then when you see the game, like the game will blow up a piece if you ask it to, where in real life, you just look at the piece, you know, it's not. uh, Yeah. I feel like it's a little, um, it's meant to be more streamlined on an app or on a computer, but instead it seems to me, it feels more uh, clunky because in real life, you just look at it. It's, Versus on a computer, you're moving a mouse around to click on a thing, to zoom it in, and then click on something else to zoom it back out again. It feels more clunky to me versus playing a computer game that was made as a computer game. Right, right. Yeah, I'm with you, too. The peripheral vision of being able to see the entirety of the board with other players kind of is important. And you might get that, like, in the online poker a little bit with the avatars and such. But if you're playing, like, uh, something as basic as life, uh, not not the life not one the game where it's, life. you know, but, but life, uh, and you're kind of moving your car around, going to college and, you know, putting, you know, a <laughs> partner in and children and all that, it's, it's less so. So, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. There are some things that are just much more fun when it's tactile and and you're experiencing it with p- other people there too. Which COVID really didn't help us all that much, now did it? Did it? Yeah, that's a big reason with COVID hitting. I was like, nope, we're we're just calling this shuttered for right now and see what happens because can't really move forward without people. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, well yeah. we we hope you uh, you get your Kickstarters going soon, and uh, you know we could let our audience know that they're out there and hopefully. Uh, help you out there some uh but th- this has been really fun um uh a- any 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 advice that you have for uh wannabe game designers oh um well yes it's a definitely been fun i've had a lot of fun chatting with y'all today um advice uh, would be your first couple of games are probably not going to work very well uh please be confident in being able to just let them let them go let them sail off and you know give them a peaceful rest and learn from it just like make something see the problems or the goodness out of it learn from it and then move on to something just a little bit better like i said corporate sharks is nothing close to the game that i first envisioned it to be because i let it grow into what it became versus uh having a death grip on it hoping that i can make something that's not going to work work 
So just being able to move on, try new things, and just stay confident with it. It doesn't matter if your game doesn't work. You can just make a new game, make a new theme, make a new mechanic. Just keep trying with it, because that's actually kind of the fun part of making the games. <laughs> it's almost a game at making the games at that point. Ooh, Pretty much. <laughs> a game for making games. At mm. work. <laughs> Dot biz. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, thank you so much for having me on today, guys. It, it's been our pleasure. It's uh, I, I can't wait to to get a chance to to, to play these games. Uh, I've been really excited looking at what what you got there. So uh, should be fun. Absolutely, wishing you tons of luck. Oh, thank you so much. You guys get to come over anytime to play corporate sharks with me. Yahoo! Excellent. <laughs> and uh, if you want to learn more about games uh, from flying fish games just go to flyingfish.games which i think is just an awesome url because it's not a dot com it's dot games it says what it is <laughs> yeah it was actually when i was looking for a url they had just released dot games and i saw that i was like done sold there there it is <laughs> it worked perfect it was great timing well, I think that's about all the time we have this week. Uh, if uh, you want to learn more about uh, Haldor's work, as I said, go to uh, flyingfish.games. Otherwise, uh, drop us your thoughts, your comments, uh, or uh, give us a five-star review on your favorite podcatcher, uh, or uh, just hit us up at our website at gamesatwork.biz. See ya. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to GamesAtWork.biz, the podcast about gaming, technology, and play. We are part of the Blueberry Podcasting Network, and would like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at GamesAtWork underscore biz, or at our website at GamesAtWork.biz. GamesAtWork.biz